The Bengals are 2-0, and and the Pittsburgh Steelers have yet to win a game through two weeks in the 2018 NFL season. I don't know if you could write a better start so far for Day Nation, but as we stand here, the Cincinnati Bengals are 2-0 and with two great wins in their pocket. Hey, everybody. How you doing? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider coming at you once again a uh, little bit. A little bit of a schedule change this week, so we're a little earlier in the week than usual, but uh, we're glad to have you with us, and I am glad to have my usual co-host, John Sheeran, with me here. John, I, I, I don't know how many times, how many more times I can say it. The Bengals are 2-0. We gotta, we're, we've got to be excited about this, right? That was a big win on Thursday. I couldn't. That was that was a fantastic intro, man. You didn't even pretty. Did you just like come up with that like on the spot? Or, like, yeah, it's what I do, man. It's what I do. I'm, I'm quick like that. Yeah, um, it, it's it's an exciting time compared to what, what, where we were last year when we were going into uh, Lambeau Field 0 and 2. So I mean, I'll take this 10, 10 days out of ten. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the but the schedule parallels in terms of you know kicking off Sunday at ten on week one and then getting that quick hosting of a Thursday night game um, from last year and this year. But the complete opposites in terms of record, performance, all of that stuff, um, you, you gotta you gotta be pleased. And uh, oh boy, that Green Bay that Green Bay game last year that was that wasn't very fun either. Um, but the Bengals are two and zero, and they defeated the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday night. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Bengals' Week Three matchup against the Carolina Panthers coming up. And we've got a couple of other things we're going to discuss uh, along with listener questions at the end of the show. You can uh, get in touch. I'll I'll give you the number to call or text in at the end of the show. Or you can always leave your live questions in the live YouTube chat. Uh, You can hit us up on Twitter at Bengals, uh, excuse me, at uh, at Bengals OBI. And we have the comment thread at CincyJungle.com running. So if if you're happening to kind of follow along there, we're keeping our eyes on a lot of different stuff, uh, so so shoot us a question, shoot us a comment. Um, the other things we want to touch on, uh, Carson Palmer of Football Life came on uh, NFL Network actually the night after it aired, the night after the Bengals beat the Ravens, which was um, a very in- made for a very interesting week and weekend for the Cincinnati Bengals if you uh, were glued to the to the TV set. And um, you know, I guess we'll kick off the show with a little little difference. Uh, Thing that we than we usually do. Usually, we've got a guest to kind of kick off the show. We don't have a guest this week. We've had guests the past few weeks in a row, so we decided, hey, you're gonna you're gonna hear from our beautiful voices and see our beautiful faces alone this week, and that's that's how we're gonna roll. But a couple of big news and notes, both with the Bengals and within the division. Let's let's just start with the Bengals, and then we'll kind of go outside of the division from there, John. Um, on Tuesday, the Bengals signed Randy Bullock to a two-year extension. I I think there's going to be some polarizing opinions about this um, because Randy Bullock has proven to kind of be maybe an okay NFL kicker. And boy, I wish I wish our uh, our good friend Scott Schultz was here to, to talk about this one because I know how he feels about Randy Bullock. But you know, this so far this year. Perfect on all attempts, all extra points, and he's made some big kicks, okay? Big kicks in big situations, especially this last Thursday. He had two uh, two or three um, second-half kicks that were – second-half field goals that were very oh, big. Fourth quarter. 
Yeah, yeah. Very, very big for the Bengals in that win. Um, he kicked at 90% last year, albeit, you know, lower attempts than most other kickers because the Bengals' offense was pretty putrid. Um, still got to worry a little bit about the long kicks, but, I mean, is this is this a warranted deal for Randy Bullock? I mean, I know he kind of came under fire after missing that kick in 2016 against the Texans on Christmas Eve. Um like I said, the criticism on the, the leg strength in general is, is something, but he's been pretty good over the past 18 games. I I would assume that the timing of this deal would be related to what happened in the NFL over, over the past weekend. With that is, a, that is a great point. That is a great yeah. point. Like that, that, was, that was something that our CJ readers uh, commented on the – announcement and it's hard to disagree because in theory like I don't think they would have too much of a problem re-signing Randy Bullock in the offseason so to do this now it kind of sounds reactionary to what has happened but with when just evaluating Bullock in itself like nothing's really changed like he's still you know pretty much as good as you can get within 45 yards of of the posts but I think there is a certain there is a certain distrust with his leg outside of that range. And we've seen in the past, specifically the past year, the Bengals be really conservative between that 45 to 35 yard line on their opponent's side of the field, because I don't think they trust Bullock's leg to exactly kick a 50, 50 yard field goal. Like he like is one of the, he's in the bottom in terms of attempts and field goals that long. And yeah, his accuracy is great, but they don't use him for any, you know, low percentage kicks where he could really change the course of the game. So when the Bengals offense, you know, is at the 45 yard line and they absolutely need those 15 yards to get Bullock in the field goal range, you know, that's, that's like, that's like what needs to happen because they can't be stopped at like the 36 or 37 yard line and expect Bullock to come out and be Justin Tucker and nail a 55 yard kick. That's just not a luxury that they have. That's just not what you have with Bullock, but with Bullock, you do have a kicker who to his credit, you know, is not Mike Nugent in terms of extra points. Now he's he's perfect in that regard. He's he's as reliable as you can get in the NFL now within the thirty yard line. It's, it just it's just sort of limits you know what you can do outside of that range. And I there, there is a Marvin Lewis aspect who's more conservative when 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 it when it comes to fifty yard field goals. But Mike Nugent when he was here, he still attempted plenty of fifty yard field goals because he had that leg. Randy Bullock just doesn't have that leg. He doesn't have the power. It's not something that is purely on Marvin Lewis being conservative. It's just a fact that needs to be accepted. Yes. And I mean, kind of to your point a little bit so far this season, he's had one, he's four or four on, on field goals. So, um, you know, you got to give him credit on that. And he's eight of eight on extra points. And as we know, extra points have recently been pushed back a bit. So they're no longer gimmies. So you got to give him some credit there. As you mentioned, two field goals last week, both in the fourth quarter, um, last week, one was a, his long, and it was long of the season, a 42-yarder. He hit a 40-yarder, uh, I'm sorry, 40-yarder last week, and then a 42-yarder against the Colts. Um, the 42-yarder in week one is, is his longest of the season. Um, the other attempt was, was in the 20 to 29 range. So, um, and another in the 30 to 39 range in that, in that week one. So, you know, I, th- I think that's a fantastic point and one I didn't really think of because you're a lot smarter than me about the struggles that were witnessed from so many kickers this week. And um, that'll, that'll be kind of a, 
it'll be a nice segue in just a second. But yeah, the the kicker situation around the league is is not a great one. And now you know when you this this always amazes me about about NFL kickers. You know, very few of them get drafted. Um, sometimes an undrafted free agent guy kind of bounces around, then he'll get a shot, and then. But once these guys make a roster and they can kick a little bit in the NFL, they seem to be able to keep whether they'll move around a lot, but they right. seem to be able to play in the NFL for a long time. And Bullock is kind of one of those guys. He's bounced around the league for a handful of years, a bunch of teams. Um, but he seems Nugent was the same way. Seems to have seems to have kind of found a little bit of a groove here in Cincinnati. Um, so you. I mean, at this point, it's kind of like, well, I mean, he's he's kind of one of the better ones out there, I guess. And, uh, you know, you look at some of the names that are out there, and it's a bunch of recycled names. Uh, Aguayo, one of the big picks, I think it was a second-round pick or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's he's still out there and might get, might get a shot somewhere. Kai Forbath, another guy I remember specifically who was very good at UCLA um, and has bounced around the league, he might get a shot. John, John Brown. Um, the guy who backed up Randy Bullock uh, might get a look somewhere. So, but I mean, overall, it's a lot of veteran guys that just—it's like a musical chairs type of thing. It's—it's it's very strange right. the life—the life of an NFL kicker. And uh, I guess Bullock's one of them. But kind of, kind of one of the be better or best options they've got on the table, especially long term, right? No, for sure. Because, like, to your point. I think as long as you avoid a Carlson starter or a Guayu start, as long as you just basically keep your head afloat as a kicker, you're going to have a, a decent career or, you know, in terms of earnings and um, experience in the NFL. And it, it, it's, it's just, we, we can talk about Bullock's accuracy, but there has to be context with it. And that's, I think as long as we remember that, we remember who he is, we don't have to overrate him and make him out to be something that he, that he isn't, you know, where do you want to place him in the rankings of kickers nowadays? It, it's, very subjective, I guess, but um, I, I just think he's good at what he is, and he's not—he's not everything that you know. Maybe some of us want want him to be, want to prop him up to be. Like I, I will still stand for Jake Elliott. You know, he's not—he hasn't been as accurate as Bullock has been in the past couple years. But the Eagles don't, you know, coddle him. They, they trot him out there for fifty-yard field goals, and you know, we, we can move past Jake Elliott at this point because Bullock Bullock's extension. But regardless, you know, he's he's a decent kicker, and that's. That's why he has a two-year deal, which I'm assuming isn't much more than what he's making before. Yeah, and I just to, – to that point, and we'll move on here in just a second, but to your point about Jake Elliott, you know, you look at – yeah, he had a pretty good year last year. Um, but this year so far, one of two on field goal, field goal attempts and four of four on extra points. You look at Zane Gonzalez, another guy Bengals fans were clamoring for what he missed, three or four field goals for, for the Browns this week. Um, and they should have won, uh, beat the Saints, and then he missed a field goal again, uh, I think a couple times, uh, once or twice against the Steelers, that caused a tie there. So he was a guy the Bengals, really, or Bengals fans really wanted them to draft, and then you've got Aguayo, who I mentioned, and he's been an absolute mess since being in the NFL. So, I mean, Elliott is obviously the best of that crop, but when you look at some of those kickers that the Bengals, uh, Bengals fans wanted and wanted to replace Randy Bullock. Um, you know, it's not exactly light on the light the world on fire. Obviously, like I said, Elliot had a pretty good year last year, and and he, he first year he gets a Super Bowl ring. But um, you know, I mean, the Bengals have a guy that they think they can they can win with, and I think now that they have an offense that they feel they can at least get 
into better positions and more makeable opportunities for him. Um, should they stall out on a drive where they're not, you know, where, you know, maybe they get to the, where they were getting last year to the 40 yard line, 42 yard line. It's like, well, that's, we don't have a kicker that can do that, but now they're getting to, you know, the 25 yard line, the 30 yard line, the 31 where it's more makeable for him and more in his range. And they feel like, Hey, this is a guy that can do it. So he signed a two year extension with the Bengals. Uh, I believe Alex Erickson signed a two-year extension as well recently. Another special teams guy, primarily. Um, oddly enough, he, he kind of was not the punt return guy last last week after signing that extension. Um, right. So that, um, that was kind of weird. But so the Bengals have two special teams guys locked up, and then obviously uh, they they signed Dunlap and uh, Geno Atkins to, to big extensions as well. So um, Bengals have been busy. They've been spending some money. So that's uh, that's good to see there. Now, unfortunately, what came with the Ravens win was a myriad of injuries and a myriad of injuries to a lot of big players. Michael Johnson, uh, Joe Mixon, uh, Draker Patrick left the game for a while with a, with a hamstring issue, but he appears to be okay. Billy Price, um, you know, and then Preston Brown also sat out that game after uh, dinging up his ankle in the first game. So what the Bengals have had to do because of that, even though they've had a long week to recover, they've had to look at some other outside help. And this is, we, we kind of said it tongue in cheek, John, after, the past couple of weeks, we said, hey, you know, the Bengals, they could make a waiver wire claim after final cuts, but look for after week one, week two, when those contracts aren't fully guaranteed for a, for a guy and they could bring in some outside help. And that's, lo and behold, that's exactly what they're doing. Now, there's a, a few names that the Bengals have brought in, but the two I want to discuss, uh, let's let's start with, because he's a little less polarizing, but... Let's start with running, running back Thomas Rawls. And the last time Bengals fans probably really saw an up-close look at him, he was absolutely torching the Bengals' defense in 2015 um, in a very exciting game that the Bengals ended up winning in overtime against the Seahawks at Paul Brown Stadium uh, to go, I believe, 6-0 and at the time. So um, t- your thoughts on Thomas Rawls, at least as a stopgap guy. Joe Mixon, for those of you who do not know, had a knee scope done. Uh, probably out for two-ish weeks. So, um, you know, they've got Gio Bernard and Trey Carson and Mark Walton, but they obviously want a fourth running back on the roster as, as mix and rest. So your thoughts on Thomas Rawls and his potential fit with the Bengals should they end up signing him after his well, workout? I, well, I think that um, since they are bringing in a, a few running backs for trial, or at least they did, I think the plan, I guess, is to – really split up the the, the the touches between the running backs because what we saw for the first two weeks is that Mixon had 38 of the 46 carries from the running backs and G only had like seven or eight of them. So I think we're going to see a much more evenly distributed share of the touches. And with Rawls, he's still 25 years old. He had some, some success with Seattle. He was last with the Jets. And those are two teams that don't exactly have you know great options at running back. So the fact that he was still on the market is a little kind of concerning. But there is some youth there. There is some long. There is some um, long speed game speed. He only ran like a four six five of the combine, but he's obviously much more uh, fast. I guess you know some players have more game speed and pads and whatnot. But I, I would be at the at the least interesting. He kind of fits what they run on the outside zone. Um, but yeah, it would it would be an interesting option. And I think it just says more to what um, their plan is for when Mix is out. 
Yeah, like I said, last time we saw Rawls, he was uh, torturing the Bengals, but luckily they came up on top on that on that game. But you know, like I, I do believe, as you said, I think that that's that's going to be the plan with mixing out. I think that's going to there's going to be a a rotation. Um, Bernard got more into the mix on Thursday night, and I think partially that was that was by design. But I also think that was because Mixon exited the game a couple of times because of that knee issue. So you know, I, I think that uh, you know I, I, Bernard could be poised for a, a big, pretty big statistical game, probably a little bit more in the passing game than than Joe Mixon, but um, maybe not as much on the ground. But uh, definitely looked more effective on Thursday night than he did against the Colts in Week One. And obviously, I think he only had like two touches that game. So. Um, mm. Now we move on to a very, very interesting one, and one that there, there's two there's two prongs to this type of type of thing. Yeah, yeah. The Bengals the Bengals worked out former Panthers and Steelers safety Mike Mitchell, and uh, he lives in infamy in the fan in the eyes of fans and Bengals players. Uh, Head hunting AJ Green. Headhunting Tyler Eifert, uh, just headhunting in general. That's kind of his deal. He was an enforcer for the for the Steelers. He had a couple. I think he had one or two pretty good seasons with them in terms of actually make, making some interceptions and stuff. But really fell off the map. I believe it was last year um, in terms of what he was able to do, and, and he was exposed. The Bengals worked him out. Now, from a player standpoint, has he got anything left that? could contribute to the Bengals because it's a, it's an interesting thing that they would bring a guy that's maybe more known as a, a hitter, maybe pretty decent against the run yet. They get rid of Georgia Loca and Terrell Austin is more about the creating those turnovers and those big plays. Um, but maybe they kind of want that presence, a guy who's familiar with the AFC North um, as a player and a fit for the Bengals. What do you think? Yeah, I think his value comes as a veteran. I think um, as much as we as Bengals fans don't like him on the field, I think he has some value as a guy in the locker room. And, you know, besides Sean Williams, they don't have much experience at that position. So I think that's where his value comes. I really like what he said last year about um, safeties coming down downhill and how the game's kind of unfair. And he, he, he was, he was keeping it 100. And I appreciate that from him um, as a player, like, Back when he was released in March, I, I said, like, if you if you can't make the Steelers roster in the secondary, I don't know where you really fit in the NFL because, the, I mean, they have one of the worst back ends on, on, on a defense in the league. With that experience, obviously, become, obviously comes age, and I don't see him, even if he, if he by some chance does sign, I don't see him playing significant snaps at all, maybe more special teams. But even if you're Mike Mitchell, you know, even if you don't get a contract, like, you really want to play special teams and not be, like, a, a – a major part of rotation on defense. And I don't think they w- they would benefit him being a major part of the rotation. I think they have three solid safeties with Fedulin being the guy behind both base and Williams. So I think it was just more of, you know, a potential signing as a guy, as, as a leader in, in the secondary where they're really young back there as a player. I don't think he has much left to give. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously I'm, I'm not a fan of the way he plays the game because of what the, the, countless you know examples of evidence against him as a as a headhunter back there but um yeah i wouldn't 
I wouldn't support it for that reason, and also because I think the Bengals are better at safety now than what they were in the past uh, couple years. But, and I'm not, I, I'm not saying I disagree with anything you said, because I don't, but the Bengals, to me, I've always, I've always kind of said they, they've had very, very, very big troubles in beating the Steelers. And I'm, I've, I've, always, I've, I've always kind of been, if you can't beat them, join them. Play their style of football. Uh, they play, in my opinion, sometimes as dirty, if not more, than some of the things we've seen from some Bengals players in the past. And maybe they just do not get as penalized or not as noticed or what have you. But he brings physicality. He brings playoff experience and playoff winning experience. He brings AFC North experience. Even if he's a rotational guy and a, and a spark plug of a guy in the locker room, is that worth it if it's like a vet minimum? or I mean, because here's the thing, too, is when you bring a guy like that on, you're either IRing someone, cutting someone, whatever. So there could be a decent player that right. the Bengals get rid of for him, which is it's tough to you know weigh that. But we know that there's some limitations now because of age and some other things as a player. But as a locker room guy, maybe a spot contributor, um, maybe a fresh start in a different defense, is that something where you go, well, maybe. I mean, I, and I, I got to say, if he does get signed by the Bengals, I probably got to go back and delete some tweets of my, on my Twitter account because, <laughs> because uh, I, have not, yeah, I, I, I haven't been very complimentary of Mike Mitchell. Um, but it, this is, this is kind of what I, what I felt. And unfortunately, it didn't work out so great. But this is kind of what I felt when the Bengals signed James Harrison a, f- a few years ago. Now, I feel that the Bengals didn't use him to his respective strengths because There's that, yeah. the, next, the next year, he went to the Steelers and was pretty good. Um, but I just – I don't know. I kind of see like, hey, maybe there's a different kind of value there. Yeah, um, the difference with Mitchell is that you know he's not going to join the Bengals and then leave and then and then somehow revive his career back with the Steelers. I don't see that happening. But again, um, big picture, if if they bring in Mitchell and end up cutting Brandon Wilson, don't think it makes that big of a difference for the overall impact of the defense. I like Brandon Wilson, but he's not really going to play any any much on defense. And if he does, they'll probably bring the same impact as Mike Mitchell will. And yeah, I, I think they're pretty similar at their respective points in their careers. But again, um, to your point, when the Bengals tried to, when the Bengals for one time tried to play to the Bengals to earth level in terms of physicality, they ended up losing the playoff game. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, interesting news nonetheless. And there has not been as of, as we sit here as in record on Tuesday night, there has not been a, a, signing or anything of that sort. But the Bengals worked out a number of players on Monday. Uh, Safety Quinn Blanding and Mike Mitchell, as we mentioned, defensive tackles Josh Frazier uh, and Elijah Qualls, defensive end Charles Tapper. Uh, We mentioned Thomas Rawls as a running back another and two other uh, running backs, Troy Main Pope and Matt Days uh, were also uh, oh, and Fitzgerald Toussaint, another, uh, another former Steelers. Yeah, another former Steeler who uh, is, is an interesting player as well. So uh, the Bengals are at least keep, keeping their options open, kicking tires in the wake of some injuries 
that's that were suffered against the Ravens on Thursday night. So uh, that's those are some news and notes. We spent a little more time on that than I thought, but uh, very interesting stuff as the Bengals kick off the week going into uh, the third week against the Panthers. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. And in case you didn't join us last week, we had some big news with that we have officially been picked up in the SB Nation National Podcast Network. So uh, we're under the Cincy Jungle umbrella. We're under the SB Nation umbrella. So pretty excited about that. And uh, we're, we're still giving you the same show that you hopefully like and or love. And uh, we appreciate your support. You can get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. We are also on Stitcher, Google Play app, and Art19. If you are if you have an account there, you can download our stuff. Um, but mostly those, those areas, all of our stuff's also on cincyjungle.com. And uh, we appreciate – did I say Stitcher? I think I said Stitcher. Uh, we're, we're on that uh, – podcast network as well so check out all of the different areas you can you can get our stuff and uh subscribe to our channels if you will we appreciate the support we're going to take some listener questions at the end of the program so leave those in the live youtube chat if you're watching us live or the comment thread at cincyjungle.com we'll also open up our text and call line towards the end of the program to try and squeeze in a couple of uh questions as well john the Bengals are two and zero. Did I did I mention that? I don't I don't know if I've mentioned that. <laughs> the Bang the Bengals are two and zero, uh, and what a game on Thursday night! And both wow offensively, then turned into nail biter a little bit, <laughs> then showing some fortitude and and kind of doing what they did a little bit in the first week, just kind of different quarters and different. Right. I, it, I mean, it was very similar. It just happened in different phases, <laughs> kind of like opposite mm-hmm. phases, if that makes sense. Um, first, first week, the Bengals, you know, kind of started off a little sluggish, some turnovers, all that kind of stuff. And then they, they come out firing and make some huge plays in the, for the second half, namely the fourth quarter. This week, the, the, the Bengals got out to, a at one point, a, a 21-7, 28-7 lead. And then at halftime, it was cut to 28-14. Four First half touchdown passes from Andy Dalton. Bengals kind of crawled into their shell a little bit um, as as things progressed. But your thoughts on let's let's just talk big picture here. Your thoughts on the win overall and that offensive performance in the first week or the the, the first half, excuse me, was. I mean, it was it was very impressive against a Baltimore defense that gave up just three points to a yes terrible Bills team. But you got to be impressed a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, I think I think this game taught us two things: is that a um, the offense did suffer a little bit some lulls in the in the second half. You know, the Ravens kind of adjusted their game plan on defense, kind of got to the pressure of of Dalton and the Dalton ended up making some mistakes in the pocket and whatnot, but 28 points in one half of football is, you know, it's good no matter how you spin it. And that was partly because, you know, we're just, no, we're just looking at a Bengals offense that is going to be more talented than most of the defenses that they play. And that's sometimes just going to be the overall difference of the game. Even if they have some rough patches, 
whether it be the first half or the second half, they're going to find a way this year to put points on the board. And that, I think that's a big difference from last year. The other big difference is that all that started off of a Jesse Bates interception, his first career interception, and they finished the game with three total turnovers, two of them by Sean Williams, the other safety. That's something that we they have five turnovers in two games. It took them five games to get five turnovers last year. That's a huge turnaround, huge transition from last year, all because of Terrell Austin's presence. And all offseason, we've, we've heard Austin, you know, talking about forcing more turnovers, being more aggressive. And I think that we've seen exactly that in, in these first two weeks. So those two things are, in my opinion, the biggest reasons for optimism, even though at some point in this game, you kind of thought to yourself, prime time, divisional opponent, a crucial penalty kind of swung the momentum a little bit. Here we go again. But I think that even if those sentiments were still there, this is still a team that's going to be more talented than the other team that they face on a week-to-week basis. And sometimes that talent will just overcome some of the similar mistakes we've seen in the past. Totally agree. And I, you got to love when our listeners, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I think, that Bengals fans are very well educated. And you got to love when your listeners do a lot of work for you and research for you. In case you didn't know, and this this is my this is my research, but the Bengal uh, Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton has sixty uh, over sixty four percent completion percentage, six touchdowns, one interception for a one hundred eight point five rating so far this year. And thank you, shout out to D'Angelo Hankerson, welcome to the jungle <laughs> in our live YouTube chat. This is this is a great stat, and I, I haven't had time to totally corroborate this, but I, I have reason to believe that this is totally accurate. Dalton has 31 touchdowns and nine interceptions under Lazer's offense dating back to last year. Yep. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Wow. Um, talk about a difference. And, and I, I want to expand on that a little bit because what you saw and what I saw on Thursday, there were a lot of drag routes and a lot of yards after catch opportunities. Yes, Dalton was fairly – you know, he's pretty accurate, especially in the first, in the first half. He had a little – shaky in the second half but it it was the protection kind of held up a bit um there was there were no sacks uh, against dalton this week and that says something with billy price out of the lineup for most of the game and you know i mean there laser designed a lot of plays that worked to dalton's strengths a lot of short intermediate throws that that let these Talented guys make some plays. Now, I will say there were a couple of intermediate to deep throws. I remember a couple to Tyler Boyd. I think there was a 29-yarder 20, or 22-yarder to Tyler Boyd that was an absolute beauty of a throw by Dalton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in front of the safeties and behind the linebacker type of thing as, as he was kind of going out of bounds. There was a lot of stuff where you're just like, wow, he just looks – much more comfortable. And I think it's, I think it's offensive line. I think it's Bill Lazor. I think he knows who he's got. Um, obviously AJ Green had a monster game that the hat trick, but let's talk about him, but let's also talk about Tyler Boyd, right? Yeah. Um, Boyd is, I guess the, the miniature Ravens killer to um, Green being like the granddad in that, but yeah, two consecutive performance of 91 yards and a touchdown. Um, and he even had a tougher matchup because the Ravens didn't have their slot cornerback Tavon Young last year, and I think Young was matched up over him uh, quite a bit. But, um, you know, Laser got Green and Boyd in great situations all throughout the game, and I think that's that's another common theme is that he's mixing things up and he's making the offense 
a lot more, a lot less predictable, a lot less stale. And, you know, we kind of talked about this in the preseason, but that was kind of the, the hope for Dalton was that, you know, he would completely buy into the system, just like he bought into Hughes' system back in 2015. And you saw a much more comfortable Dalton and a, and a Dalton that was had a lot more composure and ended up being a lot more consistent. And now we're seeing the Bengals, you know, put up a ton of points on common opponents. And shout out to our good friend Joe Goodberry, who came up with a common and uncommon um, metric and, you know, when the Bengals do well against common opponents, typically, you know, that, that's that's not something that happens a lot. But under Laser, that's that's just that's just the, the reality now. So he's he's he has installed a system that is a lot more adaptive on a week to week basis and is a lot more diverse in terms of putting green in the slot. He had three three of his touchdowns were in the slot, and you know, using his tight ends well, using Mixon out of the backfield as a receiver, using Ross and Boyd to their to their respective strengths. We still haven't seen much of Ross, but. Um, even if Ross has has no catches or like like only a few targets, the Bengals offense can still put up a ton of points because Tyler Boyd can go off, AJ Green can go off, CG Uzoma can act as a yards after catch machine at tight end. They just have a ton of stuff to deploy, and I think Laser perfectly married his quarterback and scheme in a matter of months, and we're seeing the results right before our eyes. Yep, and a big a big correlation. Let's let's talk defense. Here, a big correlation to week not only week one, but the, the fact that they started two and zero. I believe uh, for the second week, I know for a fact they won it. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look again for week one, but I'm pretty sure the Bengals won the turnover battle yet again. Yep. Um, I, I think it was two to one in week one, and it's three to zero in uh, in week two here. Two interceptions by Joe Flacco, and then obviously the the lost fumble by Joe Flacco. Um, you gotta like that. That's the aggression they were looking for. And then obviously, like I said, they didn't, the Bengals didn't give up any sacks and they were in Flacco's grill. They, they, they netted four sacks, but tons of other pressures by Geno Atkins and whatnot. Um, so a lot of good to take away there. Love the aggression, love the aggression. However, still 370 Six yards passing. Granted, Flacco threw the ball 55 times, but 376 yards passing. You still saw a little bit of the carving up of the defense on the on the upfront stuff. You know, Jesse Bates almost had three interceptions in the game. He had, yeah. he had one where he dove, and there was almost an incredible interception. But John Brown came up with it. John Brown also beat Dre Kirkpatrick um, for for a touchdown. Dre was there, but just couldn't get his hand on the ball. So. Are you still a little worried, especially – we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but are you still a little worried about this Bengals defense, especially with Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger still on the horizon on this schedule? Yeah, and that might be the reason why they were bringing in more safeties, just because more bodies won't hurt. Um, I, I guess, and like you like you lose, you like go through the ball 55 times. I think Andrew Luck threw the ball 51 times, if I'm not mistaken. So they faced – 106 pass attempts in two weeks and off of four days rest. So it obviously wasn't the most optimal uh, scenario for that secondary, but we saw an improve. We saw a much more, um, not improved, but a, a, a more productive pass rush. And on Thursday night, they got to Flacco a few times, Gino Atkins specifically. Um, they, they play without, you know, they're still playing without two of their starters at linebackers. Uh, Burfick suspended. Brown was injured. But, you know, I, I think that the secondary. I don't think the secondary is a weakness. I think it was just they were just on the field a lot yeah. over the past week, and 
I think, you know, William Jackson has silently been playing at a very high level. Dre got targeted uh, like a ton over the past two weeks. And, you know, when you face that much targets, you know, you're, you're, and then you're going to end up allowing some big plays and specifically with Dre that happens more times than not. But I really like how the Sages have played. Fedgelin coming in for Williams in week one. Williams playing out of his mind in week two. Bates obviously has had a great start. So looking at the individual pieces, I'm not worried too much. I think it was just the fact that they got up so early and the Ravens, you know, obviously passed their weight back into it because, you know, Bengals were playing, you know, you know, playing with a giant lead, you're not playing as aggressive in, in that sense, but the linebackers and coverage still concern me, but that's just not, that's just something that's going to be perpetually a problem under Marvin Lewis. And that's, that's just, that's just kind of how he, he runs the defense at this point. We just have to accept it. So if they can, you know, if they can survive those issues, I, I think, you know, it's not too much to be worried about, I guess. Yeah. I- Drake Kirkpatrick has had chances at two, uh, two interceptions. I think it, one in each week. Jesse Bates, I said, he had one and had his hands on basically two others. Sean Williams, interception, and a forced fumble. Clayton Fedgelum, first week, forced fumble, recovery. So the secondary, even though they're kind of letting up the yards, and, and it is part and parcel of the, the linebacker group as well, but they're, 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 getting, their, they're getting their turnovers. Um, they, yeah. are, they are getting their hands on the football, and they are making plays, and it is this – it's more talented than this, but it reminds me a lot of the 2005 squad that would give up some points, give up some yards, but they would turn the ball over at an incredible frequency, and it really helps out the offense. It really pads the quarterback right. stats because it, it shortens the field, all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, Bates' interception, you mentioned that earlier, put the Ravens in a really bad hole right away. Um, Sean Williams as pissed as we, as we were at him in week one, he came out and played. That was probably the best game I've ever seen him play, to be honest with you, in a Bengals uniform. I, I thought he played outstanding. Um, and, uh, you know, you said William Jackson, he's not he's not making the huge plays, but he's he's kind of, for the most part, holding down the fort. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick's been a little bit of a roller coaster. There's been some really good, and there's been some other stuff that's that's not been good. Um, before I... Before I get to one final question on this uh, topic on this segment, John, your thoughts on the officiating because last week against the Colts, Carlos Dunlap was flagged, which could have been a, that could have turned the entire game around. Luckily the Bengals defense held strong and didn't let up any points. I don't think after that, but very, very questionable roughing the passer penalty against the Colts and some other stuff. This week, there was a very ticky-tack pass interference call against Drake Kirkpatrick that led to a Ravens touchdown. Um, there were other. There were other. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't. I can't even recall them all. And it was. And it was against both teams. To be honest with you, it wasn't just. Yeah. I'm not sitting here going, "Hey, oh, the Bengals got a job." Uh, I mean, it's it's against both teams. So. Is is this new rule? I, I mean, are the refs still kind of trying to figure everything out with the the new rules with body weight on cornerbacks and on quarterbacks? And I, I mean, you can't you can't touch anybody. <laughs> you can't touch quarterbacks at all. Uh, it's we saw something on Sunday too. I, I I didn't really watch a ton of football on Sunday, truth be told. But I, I think there was a 
really questionable call against uh, was it was it against Green Clay Matthews Green Bay? Clay Matthews. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, should we just expect this going forward? Is it is this how this year is going to be? Where you just go, you want to tear your hair out because of some of these calls because that's what football has become. Yeah, with the Bengals game, I think that the refs gave both teams equal amount of points throughout the first three quarters. And I know people are really, really mad about the Dre, inter- Dre pass interference. And I think what the NBC uh, rules analyst said shouldn't have been called. And yeah, yeah. I mean, every every team is going to face that you know, week to week. You know, there was the there was the phantom defensive hold holding penalty against the Chiefs that negated a defensive fumble recovery for a touchdown that basically got the Steelers back in the game in, in the second quarter. There was a horrendous Clay Matthews um, flag, and there was a similar tackle by Yannick Ngakwe for the Jags on Tom Brady that almost looked identical to Matthews, but it wasn't called. So with the Bengals, uh, yeah, the refs kind of play both sides and basically almost alter the game because they gave the Ravens like a seven-point swing or 14-point swing. And with the rest of the league in those roughing, roughing calls, I think eventually they have to legislate some type of review system because these plays are just so bang bang and they're so and we've seen there's no consistency with them and the refs are being put in a tight spot about calling rules that they blame the refs for, for these rules we can just blame them for not calling them all at the right time or maybe be having too much of an itchy trigger finger so i think what is best for right now is a short-term solution would be to allow the coaches to challenge them put them under review to get the best possible call. The, these rules will all already have um, elongated the average runtime of a game. So if you put in reviews, like you're already, you're not creating a new problem. You're just kind of extending it in terms of uh, game rundown time. I think that's the best case that they can do because they clearly shown that they can't call these on, on, on the spot because of the lack of preparation, obviously from you know, this being a new rule and just so much subjectivity in an instant about calling these plays because like we saw in green Bay, they have a major impact or they can have a major impact on the course of the game. couple of uh, YouTube live YouTube comments. Uh, Chris Davis says the officiating is going to lose us a few games. Um, and then e- experts, expert picks. Uh, he, he's really, he must be really old school. And I tell you what, expert picks, we'll take a chill pill on the officiating. If you take a chill pill about it as well, he says, who cares? This has been going on for years. Get over it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, smell you later. Uh, <laughs> this, I mean, officiating is a big topic in the NFL right now. Um, so Officially, going to lose every team a game. It's not. It's not like just. It's going to happen. It's going to yeah. happen. I mean, that's that's and and you go to a Ravens podcast. I'm sure you're going to hear they're them saying the same damn thing. Yeah, they're they're bitching and moaning about some calls against them. I'm sure this week as well. So I mean, that's just that's part of being a fan. That's part of following a team. That's part of watching a game. But uh, I understand both sides of the fence. Yeah, I mean, it's like hey, officiating. It's to err is human, right? I mean, and this is a these are, these are humans calling games and calling calling plays in a bang bang play, and really in the percent high percentage of it, they are exceptional. But it's just you know some rule changes and whatnot uh, has has changed the game a little bit, at least in these first two weeks. Real quickly, John, before we move on to the Panthers and previewing that game, does this game? This win over the Ra- the Ravens, divisional opponent, pretty good, pretty good team, good coach. Primetime television, yes, it was at home, but quick week, 
does this yes two weeks in the season i get it does this legitimize them even though it's only two weeks in the season does this legitimize them in your eyes or is there another stretch of games coming up here we go hey we gotta see a little more yeah, um, I think Washington Post had them fourth in the power ranking. Sounds like, whoa, slow down a little bit. I think they're definitely established in the top half of the AFC for sure. I think they've established themselves as legit playoff contenders. I don't think they've established themselves as a clear like 12 and 4, 13 and 3 team that will you know, go on a blazing stretch here. They have some really tough games left. Like this, they have two row games on in the AFC South that we'll get to. I think the games after that are equally as, as tough. Miami's 2 and 0. I don't think a lot of us think that Miami was a good team to start the season, but they're 2-0 just like us. And I guarantee you Dolphins fans are thinking, like, oh, the Bengals aren't that good of a 2-0 team, but they have to be respected because they've started well, and then there's the Steelers the week after that. So next four weeks are so freaking crucial. And then I think they play the Chiefs and the Buccaneers after that game going into the bye. Two more 2-0 teams. So great start. Probably needed that start because they're probably going to give up a couple wins just because of the nature of the NFL. I don't think – that this confirms that they're going to be, you know, division champs, even though there's a lot of turmoil going on with the rest of the AFC North. It was a good start, and they still have a lot to prove, I think. I agree. Uh, very, very good start. I think most most fans kind of said, hey, you start off one and one here. Potential, you know, with the preference being the one win against the Ravens, obviously, you know, you're like, hey, you know, that's a good start. Complete 180 start from last year, so you got to be pleased about that. you got to be pleased at the progress of the offense. You have to be pleased at a lot of different things. You've seen the turnovers forced, um, the pressure on the quarterback. Um, there are some questions going forward. The viability of the offensive line, yes, they had a pretty good performance on Thursday night, uh, but the overall viability of that line, some injuries that were suffered on Thursday night, and we'll talk more about that in a second. And... Um, you know, some of the meat, the meatier parts of their schedule, the Steelers, um, you've got a couple of, of pretty good NFC South teams coming down the pike here. Uh, so, you know, it, it, this isn't going to be a 16-0 season, guys. I'm sorry to tell you. And if it is, I will I'll, – I'll do something crazy on the air for you. But it's not going to be a 16-0 Bengals season. It could very well be a very good season for them, and they're on the pace for that. But – um, they're going to lose some games, unfortunately, and uh, it's a matter of who they beat and uh, some of these stronger teams. But as of this point, there, there's, I think, seven 2-0 teams, and uh, the Bengals look like one of the better 2-0 teams that, that seem to be out there at this point, and you got to be happy about that. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Gazenze. He's John Sheeran. We are part of the SB Nation podcast network now, and we are very pleased about that. You can get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, the Google Play app, and uh, all of our content is on cincyjungle.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to open up our phone and text line in about five minutes uh, to take just a couple of questions because we're running a little little late here. Uh, but we're going to open that up in, in just about five minutes uh, to, to do that for you. And you can join us live if you'd like every week. Usually it's Wednesday nights. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of a schedule change tonight. Um, but... You can uh, join us every Wednesday night via cincyjungle.com and on YouTube. Uh, the number to get in touch with us, you can start sending texts if you like right now, 949-542-6241, 949-542-6241. You can text us. Um, 
hold off on the calls for about five minutes if you could, uh, just because we, we, we're going to preview the, the Panthers game in just a second. But uh, we will be taking texts in the meantime and taking calls in just a few minutes. But we'd love to have you join us live if, you, if you're if you a subscriber to this podcast and you're able to. Uh, we'd, we'd love to have you do that. So um, subscribe to our channels and uh, keep listening. We love you guys. We appreciate all the support that you guys show us week in, week out. And we love, we love doing this program for you. John, the Bengals now, uh, I, I guess it's kind of another big test coming up. They travel south, and it's it's one of two straight trips to the to the south, and they go to Carolina. Carolina's one and one, and they've been kind of a ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, the thing that worries me, well, there's a couple I guess there's a couple of facets here that are going to play huge into this game. The, I guess the first facet is the multidimensional talents of Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. The Bengals have traditionally not done well against very good quarterbacks who can run and can throw. Now, we, you can debate how accurate Cam Newton is with his arm, but bottom line is he puts up immense stats, wins games, and he does it with his legs and his arm. Um, he's gigantic in terms of bringing him to the ground. Uh, and the Bengals have faced two, uh, a bit, uh, two quarterbacks this year who are a bit more traditional pocket passers. Yeah. Luck can maneuver around a bit, but they haven't faced a Newton this year and they might get Preston Brown back. their middle linebacker. I, I'm a little worried. You know, I mean, the tight ends and running backs in the passing game have, have carved up the Bengals, not only in these first two games of this year, but just kind of traditionally. That's how it's been. Um, last time they faced Newton, he had a pretty good game against them as well. Are you, are you worried about just not necessarily overall team talent disparity, but just the matchup problems that these guys create? Yeah, yeah you, you hit on perfectly matchups. And with, with Newton, like I was, I was somewhat worried about – the Lamar Jackson wrinkles from the Ravens, but clearly that still has a lot of kinks to work out. Cam Newton is like the best running quarterback in NFL history. Like he's he, at this point, he's probably past Vic in terms of production, and he's just a menace on the goal line to stop on those read options. And that's like the best. That's like the best goal line offense that you can have when you have a bunch of when you have a bunch of options in terms of whether it's read or just RPOs or just something like something like that. So if the Bengals allow, you know, typically they play bend don't break defense, but they allow Carolina to get into square range. Cam Newton has the tools, the physical tools, and now he has a couple of weapons to his person to his arsenal to get into the end zone against Carolina at home. So that in itself worries me. Cam Newton, I think, is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, his production doesn't always tell the whole stories, but like when you when you just watch the film and watch how accurate he is and watch some of the drops that he has to go through, like he has some placement issues down the field, but I think he carries his team more than I would say at least 95% of quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's, and he's going to have to do it again against a, a defense that is going to pressure him against a bad offensive line. He's going to pr- try to make some plays with his legs. He's going to try. The Bengals have to do a good job of containing him in the pocket because that's so impossible to do. And if he steps up, they have to collapse down on him quickly. And I don't know if they're going to do be able to do that for four quarters. So I think that the offense is going to be relied on to put up a lot of points. And I, 
and and there's the Christian McCaffrey angle and how he he's like the their top receiver right now out of the backfield and how they use him in the slot and outside. So the the Bengals linebackers going up against McCaffrey that's another matchup to watch. And uh, we haven't even discussed the Panthers' defense. They have a very good defensive interior and they have the best linebacker in the game. You know, Keekley is going to be able. It doesn't matter how clever your offensive scheme is. Keekley already knows like the front and back front and end of your of your offensive playbook. He already knows it in his brain, and that's that's why he's able to play so quickly and so fast. So, uh, it, th- those players are at the are, are at the top of their game, and they're at the top of the, of the NFL. Those uh, those specific positions, in my opinion, playing them at home in a hurricane, it's 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 going to be tough. Yeah, the hurricane angle is interesting. Um, I didn't really, think, I didn't really think about that. Uh, I don't really have to think about hurricanes where I live, so I guess I, unfortunately, I mean, I, I sympathize more, with those. You're more of a fire guy. Fire, fire, and earthquakes. That's what that's what yeah. we have where I'm where I'm from. Um, I definitely sympathize with those who have to suffer through that. And uh, yes, for those in that area, I hope you are all doing well, and I hope. Uh, if if you're a fan of this program and or Cincy Jungle, I, I well in general, I hope everybody out there is is doing okay. Um, I know there's been a lot of damage, there's been a couple of deaths and even some injuries and whatnot. So uh, stay safe out there if if you're out there. Um, the yeah, very very interesting matchup coming up this week and go kind of expanding on the Newton topic. I'm encouraged because the Bengals employ and and now Michael Johnson, unfortunately is, seems to be out for a little while. He's a big guy, Carlos Dunlap, big guy, Gino Atkins, not tall, but incredibly strong guy. Um, Billings, big guy, uh, Sam Hubbard, pretty big guy. Um, so I'm encouraged in the fact that the Bengals have big guys to combat a big guy like Cam Newton. Should he scramble around? Should they, you know, pressure him and try and bring him to the ground? However, We've seen them struggle to get other big quarterbacks on the ground, a la Ben Roethlisberger, guys who uh, are just massive human beings and guys just seem to slide off of them, no matter how talented they are on the, on the defensive line. And I'm a little worried about that this week. Now, I think, you know, I think the Panthers have some deficiencies In terms of wide receiver weapons, Greg Olson, I think, is out, uh, or he, he's he's been hurt. I think he's got a foot issue. Um, so, I mean, they have some de- deficiencies in terms of overall talent at the pass catching positions. But I think that there's a real problem with the Bengals potentially corralling Cam Newton, and then obviously. Christian McCaffrey doing doing his thing going forward. Now, do you think that aside from that, do you think that the injury? How how big of a factor do you think the Bengals' injuries that they suffered against they they got out of the Colts game relatively healthy? Preston Brown was kind of the main the main guy there. Um, now we're looking at Brown is kind of in and out. Billy Price doesn't seem like he might play this week. Um, you got Michael Johnson who's got a ligament a sprain. Joe Mixon's going to be out, you know, at least a, a couple of weeks probably. Um, you know, there's just a lot of guys now all of a sudden there's like, oh, okay, a little, little dinged up. Um, this seems to be a game that the Bengals could win, maybe even should win, especially how they've played so far. But do, do you think that the injuries are might be, number one, will they play a huge factor in the game? And number two, do you think that they'll 
be too much to overcome. So injuries are never lucky, but I think that where the Bengals did get injured, I think they can survive them for at least a game. I liked how Trey Hawkins played at center, relieving uh, Billy Price. It was, it was his first actual game at center since I think one he had one snap at Texas. I think he told Dave Lapham, but he looked good in the preseason there, and he looked okay against a, a very tough Baltimore interior. Um, you know, Michael Johnson was not on this team for 24 hours when we were feeling, you know, pretty good about where, where they were at defensive end with Sam Hubbard playing more, Jordan Willis playing more. Obviously you still have Carl Lawson with, with Carl's Carlos Dunlap. So I don't think the Johnson injury is going to be that impactful. Um, then you have Preston Brown, who again, like the, the difference between Preston Brown and Hardy Nickerson and pass coverage is pretty, it's, it's like marginal. It's not that noticeable. So, and I think they survived with Nickerson against the Ravens, and I think that's going to be kind of the case against the Panthers. I don't, he's still not that good of a player, but the difference between the two in certain aspects of the game is not huge. So if they don't have Brown, but I think he did practice, if they don't have him, um, it's not it's not that big of a deal. And then finally, there's uh, Joe Mixon, who I think, like, in this day and age, like, if you're if you're so dependent on a certain running back to to make your offense go. It's kind of not how the way the NFL is now. Like I, for one, the Bengals have great depth at running back and Gio, Gio Bernard and Trey Carson for starters. They could have a good running back, Mark Wall. We just don't know if he is that yet. But from what Carson showed in the preseason, I like him to take you know five to ten carries, Gio to take you know ten to fifteen snaps or touch touches in total, and they can still use both those guys as pass catchers. And I think that's going to be a lot of the game plan, you know, to, to try to get outside of Keekly um, as much as they can on like some screens and flats and whatnot, even though if Keekly has the tendency to blow his plays up. So they can, survive, they can survive a game or two without mixing with what they have there. So I think that they got lucky that they didn't get injured at the receiver position, like in terms of green or like Cordy Glenn or yeah. like a William Jackson. I think they, if, if there were certain positions to get injured, I think that they lucked out and, for minor injuries, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, tough game coming up, though, against the Panthers. Panthers host the Bengals, and uh, should be – it could be a shootout, or it could be because, like you said, the, the weather being what it is, it could be very sloppy. Uh, some injuries on the Bengals team uh, could also make it sloppy on their end, too. But it's a tough game, and then they go right back down to the, the, the south to face Atlanta in a dome. Um, and that's that's going to be a tough game too. So I think uh, just to kind of re- put a bow on this segment, John, I think if the Bengals in the in this first month come out at three and one, I think we should not only be happy, but I think we should be pretty impressed, right? Very, yes. To, yeah. to, to, to split on the road against two talented teams, I know people have preservation for the Falcons. To split those games on the road, yeah. Tremendous. I'll, I'll take it. To, I'll take it all, all day. They go two and open. It's incredible. But one and one. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing to that too, is the fact that, I mean, three of those four games have been on the road and now granted the indie game is, it's not a big travel, but I mean, you're not, you're not at your home stadium. So you've had really the only home game you've had. I mean, if you get out of that stretch at three and one, and you beat the pan. You beat Cam Newton. You beat the a divisional rival. You beat Andrew Luck. Yeah, Andrew Luck may not be the same guy he was, you know, all pro guy, but you beat Andrew Luck, um, and, and and or Matt Ryan. 
you know, if, you, if you're able to go three and one and the win you had at home is on a short week, um, that that would be pretty impressive. Now, there is going to be a big difference if the Bengals, uh, to me, even though it's only one game, the Bengals go three and one or two and two. And uh, are, are you still going to be, I mean, I know it's hard to predict the future, but are you still going to be like, hey, this team can still do some good things if they're two and two? I guess it depends on how those games go. If there's like close losses or if there's like alarming things that are completely different from what we've seen, then I think we can kind of press the panic button because like we alluded to earlier, the, the, the schedule after this game before the bye week is just deadly. And the, the easiest game record-wise is Pittsburgh, but it's Pittsburgh. So again, this is a very important stretch while they're injured. If they can go one and one, keep their head above water, it'll be it, – it, It'll be they'll be in a much better position, obviously. Yep, and then you get you get perfect back, um, you know, yep. and and some of these guys from injury potentially mix in and whatnot. So then you're kind of all systems go again after this first month, which is which is pretty good as long as everything kind of continues on. Um, there are a number of questions that we want to get to, both that have already been sent to us and or ones that we've been asked kind of throughout the week about a lot of different things. So we'll get to those in just a second. But, John, I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about the Carson Palmer of Football Life documentary. I I did not see it. Um, I have it recorded, and I plan to watch it in the very new, near future. Unfortunately, some stuff has came up this weekend where I just was unable to watch it. I know, and unfortunately, we didn't get to preview this last week with you. You had been in contact with someone at NFL Network um, who had sent you kind of a, a sneak preview a, a, of the, the show itself. Um, for those maybe who haven't seen it yet, I mean, I don't want to play total spoiler, but maybe can you give us like two or three major tidbits or things that, especially in his time with the Bengals, his departure with the Bengals, uh, because obviously there's been, there's like two different Carson Palmers. There was the, the guy who was in Cincinnati for eight years, and then there was the guy who was with the Raiders and the Cardinals and all of that. So, you know, your thoughts on some of the things that he maybe divulged or some different – some things he divulged and did it paint him in a different light maybe than what fans have been thinking of him in terms of the negative over the past few years? So literally the first thing that – came up was his distaste for selfishness in the game, specifically quarterbacks. And they talked about his retirement kind of embodying that and how there wasn't any press conference or big thing about it all. He just packed up and left. Even John Kidna, who was interviewed for it, was like, I'm surprised he's letting you film all the stuff about him. So that was that was an interesting start to the program because, again, we don't know that much about Carson because he didn't really let us into his life. And th that non-BS worker who battled – back from multiple injuries, that's the Palmer I think we need to remember him as. He had a, a lot of bad injury luck and obviously left Cincinnati in a bad way. And when he did leave, I was still relatively young, um, he, but he was my hero. You know, I had a fat head of him in my room, and ball, jersey, you name it, man. He was, he, he, he was the guy for me. And there was a lot of kids my age who were named Carson who went to my school. And that's, that, yeah, right there. And, that, and that's the power of public perception because it was spun that he was the quitter. But, you know, time passed, and I now know that he left because he couldn't fight Mike Brown anymore. And he fought yeah. to modernize the Bengals and get them to the next level, and Brown simply stuck to his 20th century ways. And Palmer just wanted out of there because he just couldn't take it anymore. And that's something that, that we didn't know at 
at the time that wasn't the social media age as it was now. And I don't blame him now. And nobody who calls himself a Bengals fan should because there's no doubt that he was the best thing that happened to this franchise. And this is the most talented quarterback that this team has had since Boomer Sison. The numbers are going to favor Dalton because of time and error differences. But Palmer was extremely more talented than Dalton, and there's just no other way around it. So Palmer should be recognized as a hero in the Bengals fan base. And I think that this um, – that his football life really paints him in that picture and gives you perspectives that you just didn't know at the time and will give you a new perspective about him if you feel, if, if you feel a certain way about him. Uh, I, again, I haven't watched it, but I know, I mean, to be quite honest with you, to share a personal story, my, my wife's a couple years younger than Carson Palmer, and they shared a carpool their freshman year of high school to high school. Um, Damn. yeah, I mean, so I, I, there's just weird connect because he went to Santa Margarita high school. My, that's where my wife went. Not, I, I mean, there's, he went to USC. My dad's a real big USC fan and we follow USC a little bit. Um, not as much as my dad, but, uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I've watched and heard about Carson Palmer even before he was a Bengal for a long time, long time. And I remember being very excited when he was drafted. And it was, you got your coach and you got your quarterback. Same year, right? Yep. And the Bengals in 03, even though everybody was like, oh, we got to have Carson play, they did it the right way. They said, you know what? No, let's let us let him sit. Let's let him learn. If there's an emergency or if Kitna fails, then he'll come in and play. But Kitna, to his credit, was incredible. In 2003. I mean, statistically, he was NFL Comeback Player of the Year. He had like 28 touchdowns against 14 or whatever uh, interceptions. Very, very good year from him. And I think, unfortunately, there there's a little bit, and I, I only read about this. I didn't see it, but I, there's a Carson touches on Kitna and his departure from the Bengals as maybe a reason or one of the things that really stuck in his craw about about how he he and John Kitna were tight as a double knot. I mean, they were they were they were very close. And I I remember in his first couple of years when Carson had immense success, he directly credited John Kitna for for that. Um, what's interesting, and I don't again, I don't want to do play super spoiler, and I want to move on to some listener questions in just a second here, John. But it seemed at least again from stuff I read. It seemed as if this was more a Carson versus Mike Brown thing and not a, you know, a lot of people thought, hey, Marvin Lewis re-signed with the team and that was the thing that sent him over the edge. I don't know if that was the case in terms of 2010, 2011. I think it was more a culmination of a lot of factors, right? Yeah, it was It was essentially he wanted changes with the way that they operated. He didn't have a problem with Marvin and obviously when they let go of Kidna, he was really distraught about that. It was mainly just his disconnect with Mike. And while they had a dialogue, it was just Mike was a brick wall. Carson being the franchise quarterback, one of the highest paid players in the league, still couldn't climb over it. And he's just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. If, if, we can't, if we can't do this thing, then, then trade me or I'll retire. And that's basically what happened. Yep. Yep. So a very interesting stuff. And if you get the chance – Definitely watch it. I know I'm going to. So, and was what was interesting. I saw 
uh, at least that night. They played the Carson Palmer of football life, and then they played the Chad Johnson of football life right after it. Um, and that is an incredible watch. And then, you know, I think it was a year or two ago they did a Paul Brown of football life, um, which was incredibly well done. So um, I don't know if those two things are on demand or what have you, but definitely check those out. You know, those are three major figureheads in the Bengals franchise and um, a very in- interesting and entertaining uh, topic here. We're going to get to some listener questions. Get this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, the Google Play app. Um, you can get us all there and then uh, get in touch with us via live YouTube chat via cincyjungle.com in the comment threads. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to field some calls here, 949-542-6241. We already got some texts. We will try and take a call if we're able, um, but we've got a ton of questions coming up here that, that have come down the pike, and I'm going to try and blend some of them together. Uh, this is a text from our good friend Terrell. Uh, he's, he's called the program a couple of times, and uh, it's good to hear from him. He texted in a little bit ago. Um, basically it was, it was kind of a question, a comment, but I want to, I'm going to add something else that I've been asked a lot about this week onto this. He says he's very happy. He says, I, I just love how the first and second, uh, the, the first, second, third guys are stepping up and Marvin are playing talent over some of the vets. I, I think he's talking not only about the draft picks this year, but he's also talking about, you know, the depth in terms of first first string, second, th- second string, third string. So talk about that. But I also want to talk on the flip side. There's been some kind of polarity in terms of John Ross. Uh, he, you know, nice, nice game, I guess, in the first game, first week. Uh, had the touchdown catch. This week he had another catch, but he had a carry for minus yards. Uh, you know, he and Dalton still don't seem to be on the same page in terms of routes and all of that. They, they can't connect on a regular basis. Um, is this still, hey, talk about the depth, but also talk about in terms of Ross. Is this, hey, it, this is still essentially his rookie year. Let's be patient. Or is this like, hey, drops and all that stuff? That might be part of his game. Well, for starters, like the reason why the Bengals – suffered so much this is because their draft classes in 2014-2015, they just flat out weren't good. So there was complaints about, you know, they're, they're playing vets over young guys. Well, the young guys weren't exactly good when they came out of the, you know, the 2016 class. The entire class stands Cody Core, I guess, looks really good for what for what they do. 2017 is looking about the same way. And now 2018 is looking about the same way too. So the talent is in, is in the younger part of the roster. And that's basically what's playing. And I think that's, I guess a different mentality from what we've seen in the past and now they moved on for veterans, but they're definitely more reliant on young guys because the young guys are finally starting to step up and they're actually good players and not like, you know, the, the, the other crap that they drafted from 2014 to 2015. And with Ross as part of the 2017 class, I think he's still, He's still he's still not all the way there, I guess, in terms of trusting his hands because he had those drop issues in training camp. He had those drop issues in the preseason, and now he's having you know just some a lack of overall confidence and just catching with his hands. And he hasn't gotten the most cleanest targets from Dalton on some of those slant routes and whatnot. But I I, I still think that he's just not all the way there in terms of his confidence level, in terms of his you know mentality and, and things like that. Um, he hasn't really had a lot of targets to, in the first place because of how well Green and Boyd and 
in their and their tight ends have played so far. So even even without Ross, the offense is still you know moving relatively good, and that I think that's a good reason to kind of still buy into the offense because Ross hasn't produced, and they still have put up you know almost sixty points of or over sixty points of offense in the first few games. So the Ross issues are still concerning because they do exist, and he's still having some issues with his hands. But it's a long season, and you know he's definitely in a better place right now than he was last year. So that's at least a positive. Yeah. And I, I think, I think as the season progressed, this is still a young team in a lot of different areas, you know, and I think they intentionally yeah. did that. Uh, you know, they, they shed a lot of veteran guys this off season, Chris Baker, Georgia Loca, Brandon LaFell. Um, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on and to get, to give way for, you can say Michael Johnson, but Michael Johnson came back. <laughs> um, but they gave they gave the chance to, and luckily, um, unfortunately, it was because of an injury mostly to Michael Johnson. But Sam Hubbard came in and he played very well. Uh, had f- far more snaps on Thursday night. He played well. Um, so you got you got to like that. You got to like the depth, especially at wide receiver Ross Ross, withstanding and notwithstanding, um, because he's got the potential. But Tyler Boyd is stepping up big time. Uh, AJ Green, the fumbles are really bothering me, but he's got four touchdowns in two games, so whatever. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like okay. Uh, so you got to like some of the depth in in some areas on this team that maybe lacked a little bit of it last year, or if they had it, it didn't really always come to the surface. So you got to like that a little bit. Um, another one that's just kind of a general question that we've been uh, talking about, and I meant to talk, kind of talk about this in the opener, and I don't think we did. Uh, and if we did, I'm sorry, it's been a long week and I am dog tired. But I want to ta- talk about the relishing in the Steelers drama. Um, I, I don't think we really talked too much about it because we, t- we got onto the Mike Mitchell thing and we got on. So-, so in case you haven't noticed, the, the Steelers are 0-1-1. One, one. Very, very easily could have been 0-2 with a loss to the Browns in the opening week. And they, they lose this week to the Kansas City Chiefs. Their defense really let them down. Uh, Antonio Brown has been a drama queen, especially since this loss against the Chiefs on Sunday. Not only kind of making some obscure tweets and kind of pouting that day on Sunday, but did not show up to something on, I believe, Tuesday. He didn't show up to film workouts or whatever. Then you've got the Le'Veon Bell drama and the offensive linemen talking about that. My, I guess my question here is, of course, I think as, as Bengals fans, we're sitting here going, yeah, we got it. Finally, they, they get the taste of the drama, right? But we've seen the Bengals have those problems, even though they have immense talent. And either they get to the playoffs and they fail, or they have high expectations and they fail. You know, remember the T.O., Adam Jones, all that kind of stuff. Um, are the Steelers – I mean, I, I, I would guess they are better well-equipped to handle this stuff and to be successful. But even for them and their organization, is this too much for them to handle? Yeah, I'm just sitting here on my porch. <laughs> Where's the, all this what's that, the, Kermit, the Kermit team, yeah. right? <laughs> the live action Kermit GIF coming at you. All this. It, it's fantastic because I think something that a lot of us Bengals fans know, but maybe the national perspective didn't know is that Mike Tomlin's not the greatest at managing his talent. 
And we've seen that from guys, you know, Bell in his early years, you know, with, with the drug charges and whatnot. Now he's out partying in Florida, you know, away from the team with, you know, his name and lights in the club. Antonio Brown's threatening reporters to knock them out, you know, causing trouble on Twitter, not showing up to meetings. Ben is, you know, still Ben is kind of deflecting blame. You know, the offensive coordinator is under, under fire. They're winless. They're facing a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that's lighting the world on fire. It, it, it's all great. And we have seen in the past that they have been able to overcome some stuff as the season goes on because they are just a talented team. And for the most part, they have a solid coaching staff around Tomlin to kind of compensate for his lack of leadership issues. But this was a year that, you know, the more knowledgeable people predicted that we would see a regression from the Steelers. And we're not, sometimes regression will take multiple you know, avenues. And sometimes it just happens to be that your team falls apart from multiple cancer cells infecting everybody else. And you have a host body in Mike Tomlin, who's not able to counteract this with, with any proper medicine. So um, yeah, the Bengals of, of old, they would have these issues, but obviously Marvin Lewis is, enacted a more culture change. They have some on-the-field issues with Burfick, but that's completely besides the point from from these specific issues. But it's great, and this this is about as good of a start that you could hope if you aren't a fan of the Steelers like we are. Yeah, I mean, you look at – gosh, let's go Let's go back to the, the millennium, uh, the, the turn of the millennium to 2000, right? That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years, right? And not including what's happened so far. So 20, 2000 through 2011, or 2017, excuse me. The Steelers have not made the playoffs, not made the playoffs in a span of 18 years. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 times. So... They've, they've been in there 12 of 18 times. Um, and the guess what? The, only one time in, of those six did they have a losing record. They were 6 and 10. 2000, they were 9 and 7 and didn't make it. 2006, they were 8 and 8 and didn't make it. By the way, they knocked the Bengals out of the playoffs that year on an overtime. Or, uh, uh, I think it was an overtime miss. Um by Shane Graham or something like that. 2009 didn't make it. They were nine and seven. 13 at 12 and 13, they were eight and eight. So even when they're not making the playoffs, they are right there. Um, yep. That's with Cower. That's with Tomlin. Um, they, I despise almost literally everything about that franchise and their fan base but I respect the hell out of what they do and how they win. They win. They win yeah. and they win big games and they win. They, they're physical. They win. Um, so that's why I think we can sit here early in the season and go, Hey, Bengals are two and oh, all right. And the Steelers are winless and a mess. They, how many times have we seen them do it late in the season? They put a run together. They get guys back. And all of a sudden, you know, things are different. We've seen it a ton of times. I mean, heck, I, I can go back to that 05 season where the, the Steelers weren't even going to make the playoffs. They had a late run. Then, obviously, the Bengals faced them. They injure Carson's knee, blah, blah, blah. They go on and win the Super Bowl that year. I mean, so it, I, I wouldn't count them. I guess the point is don't count them out. Be happy about it right now. It doesn't look great for them right now. I think, you know, some of their best players – 
are, are disgruntled and, and other, other good players are disgruntled at their best players. Um, so they're, they're kind of a mess right now, but don't be surprised if about midseason they figure stuff out and they go on a little run, maybe even at the Bengals' expense, unfortunately, because that's what they do. That, that's the Steelers, and that's what they do. So um, interesting stuff going on with the Steelers. We're going to get out of here in just a second, John. We had just – let's let's go with maybe, maybe two, at least one more quick text. Uh, Sam texted us saying, huge fan of the program. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Um, texted a couple of questions, but we already talked about one of them. So let's talk about uh, – he wanted to know about Dre Kirkpatrick's play so far. I kind of mentioned it as a roller coaster. There's been some good, some bad, some bad calls against him. Um, I saw a dropped interception last Thursday that could have – again, I believe that it led to a Ravens score. Um, so that changed the game a bit. I think at this point, Dre is a number two corner. He's pretty good at it. And that's the ceiling because he's going to give you some frustrating stuff, but he's got the height. He's got the length. Um, he's disrupt. You could tell he, he annoys receivers. I know that he annoys them because he, <laughs> he gets his long arms in there and he jams. You could tell he annoys them, but there are times where he just, ugh, he's like an inch away from a big play or, I think we mentioned uh, last year at, at the end part of last year, he was basically the most penalized defensive player in the NFL from 2015 through 2017. Um, so there's good and there's bad. And let me tell you, just by the way, there is some very good. If you go on Twitter, he, uh, he had a very cool pregame uh, thing on, th on Thursday night football, where he was at a, <laughs> a retirement home dancing to some old school Snoop and Dr. Dre with uh, some 95-year-old ladies. Um, very, very cool. And that's the kind of stuff you got to love. But as a player, ups and downs, your take on it, you're the, you're the film guy here, your take on him so far in just two weeks in the season. Dre is Dre. Like, I don't know why, like, he's, he's, he's a quote-unquote number two corner, but they leave him on one side. So teams, if they have a brink, match up their best receiver who can just destroy him on – any any kind of route where Dre has to turn his ball turn his back to the ball, he's very susceptible to giving up a catch because he just has absolutely and I mean zero ball skills. The man cannot catch a ball, and that's why he's a defensive back. But th there's a certain there's there's a definite difference between him and Jackson in terms of feeling the route, staying in a receiver's hip pocket, and then feeling you know when that pass is going to come in at the top of that route and Jackson's able to turn his head around, make a play on the ball. Dre just kind of panics and just focuses on the receiver. And then he puts his hands up too late. And that's exactly what happened with the touchdown. It was quote unquote, great coverage, but it was also a, a, a perfect example of just horrendous ball skills. So he was, he's always been the corner who was best at, you know, facing the ball at all times, but he's also extremely suspect to double moves and off coverage. So it's kind of like the, the you know, what, what is the lesser of two evils here? So, he he'll he'll makes he'll have some good plays in terms of staying with vertical routes as long as he can turn his head and also have some you know biting on double moves and maybe some some unfortunate handsy plays and that one dropped interception against the Ravens he interfered with John with the receiver more than he interfered on the one that he got called on pass interference so it, he's just such an inconsistent and up and down player that you just take the good with the bad and hope that. 
Um, that, that the team doesn't have their best receiver going up against him for most of the game because, again, he doesn't fall – or William Jackson doesn't fall around the, the top cornerback. Jer- Dre is just there on the left side of the defense, and whoever he goes up against, he goes up against. Yeah, Dar- Darquez Denard has had a, a pretty nice start to the season. He's had a couple of, of issues in terms of uh, some plays being made on him, but I thought he played pretty decent last week, and, uh, you know, he's been – He's been uh, doing doing some stuff. Um, I, I, I guys, I, I'm getting calls. I'm getting all kinds of stuff. Unfortunately, we're just we're just running real long. We started a little later than we wanted, and we're running long here. So we, we got to get out of here. I'm just going to get out of here with one final question, and then we'll do our final thoughts and get out of here, John. Um, and I'm going to kind of spin on this. Um, this was from somebody in North Dakota. It says Who Day from North Dakota. Um, and, and it goes back to something I said earlier in the show about Andy Dalton and his 31 touchdowns, nine interceptions under Bill Lazor. Uh, basically, uh, this, this texter said, what do you think about Dalton being third in touchdown passes in the last 16 games? Um, also, very high in quarterback rating, uh, averaging three touchdowns a game so far in two games. Your thoughts on his play, not only under Laser, we talked, you know, we talked a little bit about that, but is he, is this sustainable? Is this, is this Dalton and Laser relationship? Is that building something kind of like what he and you had where it's sustainable? And for the most part, he is going to be lights out um, for the majority of the year, or should we still expect those Andy games, those bad Dalton games um, or bad Andy games going forward, even though he seems to be very comfortable in this system. Yeah, so I just kind of don't know at the moment because we could expect those those bad games from him against common opponents, but like we mentioned earlier, that whole narrative has flipped up, upside on his head, and now it's the games that are against uncommon opponents that we have to worry about. But again, logic would state that a team that you don't play that much, you know, they don't they aren't as prepared for you as like a divisional opponent. So it always was just who he plays that was really indicative of how he was going to play. Mm-hmm. But now we don't really have that metric supporting us. So how he plays on a week-to-week basis, it just really depends on if the protection stands up and if Laser continues doing what he's doing and what he's doing is is something great and something that we saw from Hughes. So is it sustainable to the point where he will keep on his pace and throw for only like eight interceptions and 40 touchdowns? No. Um, I think he'll, he'll be on a slightly lesser pace than what he was going to finish with in 2015. And that was still with a very high pass rate and still with a very high um, adjusted net yards per attempt. As long as he's not getting sacked, um, those demons in terms of his internal clock won't be that big of an issue. As long as receivers are get, are getting separation quickly, where he can get the ball out, it won't that that will still be a good thing to do. As long as his receivers don't you know drop dead from injuries, everything's going right. And as long as things stay the same, I don't see Dalton you know drastically dropping in terms of efficiency. But again, the season's long, and teams will adjust, and maybe the Ravens will come back with a different game plan and and get him more rattled early on. So. It's, it's, I guess just to wait and see, but I like what it, I like what we've seen so far, and that's basically all we can say at the point. Yeah, and, and in terms of Dalton and Laser, there's there's been good, there's been mostly very good, but there's been some, and what I mean by that is slow start against Indy. Then you kind of say if you want to call it second half adjustments or whatever, some nice nice things there. Yes, the defensive touchdown basically iced the game, but started playing better in the second half. Opposite deal on Thursday night, got off to a red-hot start, 
and then kind of crawled into a shell in the second half, which allowed the Ravens to, to come back a bit. So that worries me a little bit, but I, I like the dispersal of the passes. You know, I mean, he hit Uzama, Croft, and Eifert last week. Uh, he hit Geo. He hit Joe Mixon. He hit Tyler Boyd. He hit A.J. Green. He hit John Ross last week. I, I mean, a lot of guys, I think nine guys caught passes last week, which was uh, against the Ravens, which was awesome. Uh, he di- dispersed the ball pretty well in the first week as well. So I like that. So, yes, A.J. Green had his three touchdown catches, but it's not, you know, 15 catches for – it's not all A.J., A.J., A.J. There's there's other yeah. stuff and other contributors going on, and I like that. Um, A.J., yes, is the focal point of this offense, and the passing offense should go through him. But, um, obviously, they've got Eifert back and kind of on a pitch count, and they've got some other talented guys. Boyd is stepping up big time. So you got to kind of like – a lot of what's what's kind of going on there and uh, a lot of the the dispersal of passes going on there. So uh, that's going to do it in terms of listener questions tonight. We appreciate all of that. You can get in touch with this program uh, live every week via YouTube on the, on the chat. Uh, we, we're live every week. You can also get us in the Cincy Jungle chat or on our Orange and Black Insider phone line, text, or call. We didn't take calls this week, just text, but we appreciate it. We were kind of short on time, and we appreciate all the questions. You can also get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and the Google Play app, and all of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com. We appreciate all of the support and all, all of the subscriptions. John, final thought. Final thoughts and maybe a score prediction for, for next Sunday. Well, I haven't really thought about a prediction, but I'm going to review some Panthers film in the next couple of days to get a better gauge on where they are. But I think that being a one-on-one team, you know, going, going to their place against a quarterback who is more talented against the defense that I think is in the top half of the league, it's going to be a tough game and we're really going to, we're really going to see if these strengths on the Bengals are truly strengths in a tough environment. I, I think the line is minus three for Panthers. So, like Tuesday predictions are tough, but I, I'm going to say the Panthers probably win by a score. I, I think some things are just going to work against them, but we're, we're going to see who practices and who doesn't on injury report, and we're going to we're going to find out. I guess um, it's going to be a tough one for sure. It's going to be close. Yeah, and I, I do think even though we talked about them needing, well, needing, quote-unquote, to split these next two games, I do think they do it. I just think that this one is between the injuries and just a matchup issue with, with Cam Newton. I think that's going to be a little much to overcome this week. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be fun. Um, but I, th- I think it's going to be a little little too much to overcome. And then the next week they they – face a quarterback who is good in Matt Ryan, but is more of that traditional pocket guy that they can really get pressure to, that they're accustomed to getting uh, sacks and pressures and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that may be where they get their win, hopefully. Um, and maybe some more guys back at that point. Whereas this one, I, I just, you know, I, I don't like this matchup. I don't like this game, even though the Bengals may be a better team. Uh, I just, mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't like this matchup this week, but uh, I still think it'll be pretty close. And I think it should be entertaining to watch. That's just, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. I'm just kind of calling it as I see it, but we'll see. Hopefully the Bengals exit the weekend three and zero and continue their dominance over the AFC North as they, uh, are sitting atop the, the division right now. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much to for, for subscribing to our program, downloading it, all of that. 
My thanks to my co-host, John Sheeran, and enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We will also be posting on our feed. Uh, we'll be posting some post-game analysis. That's something that's going to be new this year. Uh, we'll be posting uh, post-game immediate, kind of immediate reactions and all of that. So be sure to download that and listen to that as well. So uh, you can, you can pre-game with this show, and then you can – post game with the reactions and then kick it off again next week with it with another episode of our program so thanks so much for listening appreciate it thanks to our live listeners thanks for all the questions we'll see you next time this has been the orange black insider Bengals podcast hello i'm spencer hall from sb nation and i want to tell you about my new show it seems smart it seems smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.